We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles. 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me as always, Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire, producer of 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's happening, buddy? What's going on, man? Just hanging out. It's getting cool out. It's getting cooler out, I should say. So beating the heat is becoming less a part of my day, which means I'm going to need a new bit at the start of the podcast. So I'm currently <laughs> workshopping that. Is, is the heat defeated? Have you Have you conquered the heat, you think? No, I'm not ready to say that. Okay. I'm not ready to say that I have officially beaten the Heat. I haven't, I haven't gone San Antonio Spurs and beaten the Heat, but um, I'm I'm awfully close. I'm awfully close. It's on its last legs for sure. Well, well that's really good to hear. Um, so we are recording this. It is uh, midnight on Thursday where I am in beautiful scenic Youngstown, Ohio. Um, the Thursday night football game is still on. And I think there's a minute left in the fourth quarter between the Carolina Panthers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, which leads me to believe that the East Coast is absolute trash for for having the Eastern time zone in these games on so late. Uh, but the time zone is is worth mentioning because the 49ers stayed in Youngstown this week, obviously, to stay in the Eastern time zone. So their body clocks are not screwed up when they play the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday in on the other side of the state on, in southern Ohio. Uh, they're going to hop on a plane tomorrow. It's going to be about a 40-minute flight from Youngstown to Cincinnati where they'll play the Cincinnati Bengals and look for 
their second road win of the season. Uh, the Niners haven't won back-to-back road games to open a season since 1989. Uh, that year, they went 14-2 and and won the Super Bowl. So basically, if the 49ers win on uh, Sunday, we don't have to play the rest of the season and we can just hand the Lombardi Trophy to, uh, to Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, and, and Jed York in February. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. Couldn't be more convenient <laughs> to get the season out of the way in uh, mid-September. Absolutely. Now we're we're gonna preview we're gonna preview that game. Uh, the 49ers have practiced at Youngstown this week, so a few players have spoken to the media. Uh, I guess first things first, a news item of of the day, maybe of the week, is is that Nick Bosa has not practiced Wednesday and Thursday. We'll see if he practices Friday. Um, normally, that's that's a, a bad omen for a player's availability the next week. Obviously, Bosa is coming off the high ankle sprain he suffered in early August during training camp, and he aggravated that injury, John Lynch said, on the first play of the game uh, when he entered in, in the season opener against Tampa Bay. But that didn't prevent Bosa from still being really effective. Uh, obviously, at his first sack, he had three quarterback hits, which was three more than the Buccaneers team combined. And, and the Bucks have gotten after Cam Newton pretty good here in this Thursday night game. So, uh, but John Lynch is optimistic that Nick Bosa is going to play. And so that's good news for the 49ers. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I'm guessing Bosa is going to be listed as a questionable. Uh, he's going to be listed as questionable on the injury report on Friday tomorrow. And he's probably going to end up being a game time decision. But Kyle, I, I'm curious as to your thoughts about Nick Bosa's impact on the game and, and, what do you think he provides and how steep the drop-off would be if he can't suit up on Sunday? I think the drop-off is 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 very steep. Uh, I think they, they need him to play, which is probably why he's not practicing at all. They want, they want to ensure that he's at least pain-free enough that he can suit up for probably between 35 and 40 snaps again. I think he had 38 against Tampa Bay. I think if they can get him to that number again against Cincinnati, it'll be considered a win for the defense. I think they have enough depth to survive the 50% or so of the plays that he's not on the field. But if he's not on the field at all, that's that's going to be a problem for San Francisco because, like I said, I don't think they have the depth to get after the quarterback at the rate they're going to need to against Cincinnati if, if Bosa's out. Yeah, Bosa had five wins and 19 pass rush attempts, according to ESPN Stats and Info. In that opener, three QB hits and 38 snaps. Obviously, he had his first sack. Uh, He was in on the play where uh, Eric Armstead had had a big sack in the red zone on a third down in the fourth quarter, and he was also pressuring Jameis Winston on the final pick six once Akella Witherspoon to seal that game. So I, I think Bosa is right now probably the most important player on the 49ers defense because he really yeah. changed everything. And, and Robert Sala talked about it today. There were a few plays that you don't really see when, you, when you're watching the game broadcast when uh, pressure from D Ford and, and Nick Bosa covered up some mistakes on the back end where some receivers were running free and instead 
that's how Bosa got his first sack. There was actually a blown coverage on that play, Robert Sala said, and and D Ford pressuring Jameis Winston and forcing him to bring the ball down and, and evade that pressure, which ended up leading to Bosa's sack, could have been a big play if not for for the pressure that those two guys provided. So the 49ers obviously have seen instant dividends from the investments they made along those along the defensive line. So not having Nick Bosa is, is would be a really critical factor in Sunday's game. And you, you just look at what the Bengals did against the Seahawks in week one. They outgained Seattle in Seattle, 429 to 232. Uh, Andy Dalton had a big game. Yeah, Andy Dalton was 35 of 51 for 418 yards, two touchdowns, both to John Ross, the the speedy receiver who could be in for a breakout season after after really falling short of expectations his first two years. He was a guy who set the NFL combine record with a 4.22 in the 40-yard dash. So could be a handful for the 49ers defense, particularly if they're not pressuring uh, Andy Dalton like like they did Jameis Winston in that opener. So uh, let, let's talk about the Bengals because I, I find them as, as a much more interesting team right now than, than I did coming into the season because I sort of assumed based on everything I had read that they would be a team probably picking in the top five of the NFL draft, uh, a team that has a first-time coach in Zach Taylor with Andy Dalton, who may or may not be at the end of at the end of his rope there in Cincinnati, given how long he's been there. Uh, but they played Seattle really competitively, and they probably should have won that game. I mentioned the the huge yardage disparity, almost doubling them up. Uh, they also turned the ball over three times and missed a field goal and had a turnover on downs just on the edge of field goal range. So really, if Cincinnati cleaned up those areas of the game, they only lost by one. They lost 21 to 20. So we could be very easily talking about a Bengals team that went into Seattle, despite many thinking they would be a team picking early in the draft uh, and escape with a victory. And so, you know, week one can be weird, and maybe the Seahawks aren't as good as we initially thought. But uh, Kyle, I'm curious as to your thoughts about uh, how the Bengals looked in that week one and, and what kind of opponent they're going to be on Sunday. I thought they looked fantastic. Um, what really stood out to me was how good their defense was. They were all over the field. Uh, you know, when you're watching a game and there's just a hit that looks like it hurt, like it's just, it's just like you kind of feel it while you're sitting there watching. They had several plays like that where, it just looks like it is not fun to play offense against them. It's their front seven. Their secondary was good. Um, they were they were always around the football. And if you're the Niners who struggled a little bit to move the ball last week, that's got to be concerning because some of the mistakes that they made against Tampa Bay, it's hard to believe that they'll get away with those same mistakes in Cincinnati. Yeah, 100% agree. And and you just, uh, we talked to Joe Staley today and he mentioned, you know, the front five guys that that Cincinnati has. And you look at Sam Hubbard, who had two sacks and four quarterback hits and two tackles for loss. And then Carlos Dunlap, who had a sack. Um, and then you obviously you have Geno Atkins in, in the middle that the three technique, who, who's been a stalwart in the league for, for a long time now. Uh, it's just a formidable front. But uh, I do think looking at tonight's Thursday night game that uh, just how well Tampa, they, they, Tampa Bay has won 20 to 14, um, how well Tampa Bay's defense played 
the Carolina Panthers tonight and and how well they bottled up the run and Christian McCaffrey, who really did nothing in the entire game. Um, I think Tampa Bay's defense might be better than we thought. Uh, obviously, they 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 bottled up the 49ers pretty well, and yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo missed some makeable throws. But I, I think the concerns you have about the 49ers running game coming out of Week One uh, may, might be eased a little bit just because you look at how good Tampa Bay's defense has played now in a two-game sample. And you might think, okay, the 49ers got a, a pretty good test on Sunday, uh, and maybe they're they're a little bit more ready for going against a, a formidable defense on the road after what happened week one. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope so. Uh, there, there has to be some kind of adjustment there if you're the 49ers. Um, the good news is, is against Tampa Bay, they were really, really good in the trenches, both offensively and defensively. They kept Jimmy Garoppolo relatively clean. But he took one hit. He was hit just once. Yeah, that's I mean that's that's incredible. I think NFL NFL matchup on ESPN tweeted out that the Buccaneers had a 10% pressure rate, which was the worst in the league in week one. And that has partly that's partly to do with the talent they have up front, but it also speaks to to how well the Niners offensive line played. And they're going to need to be good again because, like, like you and Joe Staley said, their their defensive line is very, very good, and it has been for for several years. We don't hear much about them because they don't make deep playoff runs, but they're they're a good team. And I think if Andy Dalton, breaking news, if Andy Dalton's going to throw for for four hundred yards to go on to go along with that with that very good defense they're gonna they're gonna win some games this year if if there's sort of a an Achilles heel right now for Cincinnati and again I don't want to overreact to that Seahawks game and and make them out to be world beaters because they are very early in this in this rebuilding process but one of the reasons too why it's important to get Nick Bosa in this game is because uh, obviously without Jonah Williams their first round pick who who had shoulder surgery in the in the offseason and is done for the year uh, their backup left tackle is Cordy Glenn, who's currently in the concussion protocol. So we don't know if he's going to play on Sunday. Uh, Bobby Hart, their right tackle, who they brought back uh, on a three-year contract in the spring, is not somebody who the fan base was all that excited about <laughs> when when they re-signed him. So um, if if there's a weak point, it's at offensive tackle. And obviously with D Ford and Nick Bosa, that's, that's the new strength of, of the 49ers defense. So um, I, I think you can bother Andy Dalton with pressure. Uh, we saw, I mean, we've seen what, what Dalton does under pressure throughout his entire career. I, I don't think uh, he plays particularly well in those scenarios. So yeah, I, I think the Seahawks, I mean, what, what Robert Sala said th- this week was a little bit interesting, too. He's, he's not taking a ton away from, from that game, from the game tape, be, even though the 49ers and the Seahawks run a similar scheme because the Seahawks were doing something different. They were, they were doing something new uh, that they hadn't really done before that, that was different than, than their typical cover three stuff. Um, yeah. And I'll admit I haven't watched the All-22 from that game, but uh, I, I wonder – I do wonder – about the Seahawks a little bit. And if, and if Sunday's game was also uh, something we could take away from, from Seattle in the sense that like, maybe they're just really not as good as we thought, but let's talk about what we need to see from Jimmy Garoppolo or unless you have a point you need to make. Yeah. One other thing just about the Bengals is Zach Taylor, their new head coach 
basically installed a version of the Rams offense uh, mm-hmm. in, in Cincinnati. And we kind of knew that was going to happen. He came over from, from, from Sean McVay's staff, but it's, the, it was the first time they were putting that on tape. So uh, that, that's something that I think will benefit the Niners a little bit, uh, but still they executed very, very well against, against a well-coached Seattle team. So it, it's still worth, it's still worth worrying about. Yeah, and, and the 49ers practice against a similar defense all throughout training camp, too. Kyle Shanahan's uh, scheme is obviously an, an iteration of, of that whole system, and, and the foundation of it is very similar. Um, so the 49ers sort of know what, what to look for and, and understand what that style is like to play against. So uh, if there's an advantage in going against a first-year head coach early in the season, that's probably it. Uh, but we have to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, because he was overall pretty underwhelming in that week one game. But to to go back to what I said earlier, I think Tampa Bay's defense under Todd Bowles is a lot better than, than maybe we initially thought coming in. So maybe the fact that Garoppolo did just enough for the 49ers to win a game on the road against a good defense, and obviously the two pick sixes for San Francisco helped a whole hell of a lot. Um, but maybe maybe we overreact a little bit if we think, okay, Jimmy Garoppolo was bad in that game, so it's it's really time to raise the red flag. You know, it's his first time back in, in a full game since tearing that ACL, and he was a little bit rusty going against a good defense. So um, maybe once Garoppolo faces some teams that aren't quite as good, he'll, he'll get in a better rhythm and, and start to look more like the, the, the player the 49ers gave that $137.5 million contract to. But, I mean, we want to see bet more accuracy from him. Obviously, you missed those throws to Kendrick Bourne and Marquise Goodwin and, and George Kittle where they were open in space uh, in plays that could have gone for long gains. Um, you want that to happen. And Garoppolo said, you know, those are just physical mistakes. It's, there's no mental aspect to it. Um, you know, obviously he, he goes back and he, he breaks down each throw and, and sort of thinks about, you know, where his feet are fundamentally, where is he, um, is he facing pressure, things like that. And, and he's working really hard to, to correct those mistakes. I do wonder though, too, hearing him say, uh, you know, you strive to be perfect on every play. Um, I don't know that I've heard Garoppolo say that, or at least it didn't, I, I don't remember him saying that particularly in 2017, where, he was just sort of gunslinging and just just yeah. playing by the seat of his pants and just like backyard football type stuff. I think Garoppolo is better as that kind of a player where it's less about trying to be perfect and more about just playing. Um, sure. So I think that that might be something with him that that I want to monitor going forward is just like, is he from a mental standpoint, the same sort of gunslinger cavalier quarterback that he was, or is he trying to be this, um, this guy who does everything correctly uh, within the framework of the offense. I think Kyle Shanahan obviously wants him to be a little bit more robotic and, and follow all the rules of, of the system and his keys and everything like that. But uh, going forward, I think that's something interesting to watch with Garoppolo. What, what do you want to see from, from Garoppolo on Sunday? Well, to, to piggyback off that point, I think you want to see more decisiveness from him. There were a couple of times where he had he had receivers open in the short and intermediate areas of, of the field and just kind of held on to the ball inexplicably. And then you're trying to fit uh, a throw into a tighter window and it makes accuracy a little more difficult. Um, the accuracy, though, is the is the big thing for me. He had a throw over the middle that stands out to Kendrick Bourne that he missed. It should have been an easy completion. Another one to George Kittle down the sideline that should have been an easy completion. 
and then another one to Marquise Goodwin. And we talked about those in the last podcast. If he completes those, his stat line looks looks far better than than it did. So I think that's the thing I want I want to see more from him is is decisiveness and better accuracy. Keep the chains moving. And if he can do that, the Niners offense is going to be fine. But if he starts missing throws, particularly on third down, that's when that's when they're going to be in trouble. I wonder if we see a, a, a little bit more play action early. They didn't run a ton of play action on Sunday. And I'm wondering if we see a little more of that, try and take advantage of an aggressive Bengals defense and maybe get him some easy throws that way. But either way, he just he has to make them when they're there. There were a few there on, on Sunday that he left out on the field, and hopefully um, that's something that, that he gets back once he is back in a rhythm and fully healthy. Yeah, the, the Niners were in a ton of 11 personnel, uh, and we've talked about it a lot. They, they love to, to use a lot of uh, 22 and 12 and 21 uh, with bigger personnel, with you know multiple tight ends, with Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback. Um, and they really didn't do a whole lot of that until the third quarter. And they really started getting some runs to pop off from, from Matt Breida when they brought Levine Toy Lolo into the game uh, and started utilizing him. I, I think an underrated aspect of, of Toy Lolo is, is his run blocking. And I know that's why he's there, but um, everyone talks about how slow he is and how he's not really a threat in the passing game. And, and while that is true, he is a very good run blocker. I think he's probably a better run blocker than Garrett Selleck. Um, and, and, I don't think it was a coincidence that once they started putting him in the game a little bit more in that third quarter, that they really started establishing the running game after after really the running game was non-existent for the whole day uh, before that. But but I guess uh, I do want to say some one more thing about Garoppolo and, and something that he said this week, which which I thought was really interesting and sort of goes back to the point that uh, you know he he's feeling a little bit different right now than than he was earlier when he was really sort of. Um, being that gunslinger quarterback, he was asked, you know, what's his goal for this week? And and he talked about, obviously, the little details, and, and I assume he means accuracy and decision-making and things like that. But he said complimenting the defense, um, which is something, you know, a, a game manager quarterback might say, right? So he said, uh, complimenting the defense when they make a big play, how do we answer that up and everything once we get the ball? Uh, so it's just fascinating. It's only one game, but, but you have the feeling that the 49ers believe that their defense is really good to the point where the defense might even be better than the offense. And they want to play to that a little bit more than they have in these last two years when the defense has been, you know, in the, in the lower third of the league, if not, if not worse in certain statistical categories. So I think the 49ers and, and Jimmy Garoppolo in particular right now, recognize that the defense is, is at a better spot than the offense. Um, obviously, they can't count on the defense producing points in, in the form of interceptions or turn for touchdowns every week. Uh, but I did think that was fascinating that, that Garoppolo said, you know, his main goal for, for this week against the Bengals is to just complement the defense and not make any mistakes that put the defense in a compromising spot uh, because that's a departure from what we've seen sort of from the identity of the 49ers these last couple of years. It would certainly be a, a stark contrast and a really quick turnaround for the defense. And I think a little bit of a validation of what they tried to do this off season. But I think in an ideal world, their defense can be better than the offense, 
but the offense still has to be better than it was last week. It like that's that's really what it what it comes down to. They can't have those bad penalties in the red zone that nullify touchdowns. That's the other thing is if those three touchdowns don't get called back, we're talking about Garoppolo's game in an entirely different light, I think. So they they have to clean that up and that goes to the whole offense and not just to Garoppolo. Like they need some receivers to step up and be playmakers. It was their issue last year. Uh they they didn't have anybody on the perimeter to to help take some of the onus off George Kittle. And you saw late in the game, it was any time they needed a pass completed, they just went back to Kittle. He had 10 targets. Nobody else on the team had more than three. I think they want that distribution a little bit more even. And so it's going to come down to those guys. It's going to come down to to the running backs uh, creating some yards. It's just, um, it's not far-fetched to think that the defense is, is a better unit than the offense. But that doesn't that doesn't take the offense off the hook to get better. Yeah, with that, uh, let's let's take a quick break. My take was so scorching hot that we needed a break. <laughs> we need it. We need a breather. Kyle, you know every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. There's nah. one problem: guys keep buying generic off the rack suits. That's why Blue Wire is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally. Or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Candlestick Chronicles listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just 369 bucks at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. You can't really beat that. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for any premium suit for just 369 bucks and free shipping. That's an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Hey, Kyle, if you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? I would pick it up immediately and then take it to the police station and alert them that somebody had lost $300. You're such a good Samaritan. Well, of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? Hey, I went to my bookie today and I bet money on the Panthers and the points. That did not work out for me. The good news is I found $300 and I didn't bet all of that $300 on the Panthers. So I'll continue betting at my bookie because it's <laughs> my favorite place to bet. That's why I go to mybookie.ag. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. The, do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Join now, and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so you mentioned something interesting before the break there that obviously George Kittle with eight receptions on on 10 targets and no other 49ers player had three targets for Jimmy Garoppolo. It really highlights 
the receiving core and and how that whole thing is is sort of in flux at the moment and and Kyle Shanahan is dying to get somebody to establish themselves as as a surefire starter a dependable player that that can be out there and and really right now while the 49ers have talent and some highly drafted players they also have a couple key guys who are injured and Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd who aren't going to play Sunday yep. um and then a lot of other guys still sort of figuring things out. And, and one guy, obviously, is Dante Pettis, who only played two snaps in the game. And, and Kyle Shanahan admitted this week that it was a mistake that, that Pettis only played two snaps. So I'm very curious to see what it's going to look like for Dante in week two. I'd imagine he's going to get a ton more playing time because the receivers, frankly, didn't play very well. And, and while we like to while we like to blame Jimmy Garoppolo for, for a lot of the shortcomings of the offense as a whole, um, Kendrick Bourne probably has to make that catch, even though it wasn't an accurate throw from Garoppolo. And same for Marquise Goodwin in that third quarter drive where the 49ers really started establishing the run. And like you mentioned, they, they got a really good look in play action, and Goodwin might have scored a touchdown if he brought that pass in. And again, it was behind him, and it wasn't thrown accurately, but – it was a catchable ball that went off of his hands. And if Goodwin makes that play, uh, we're talking about the 49ers in entirely different light offensively. So you had Debo Samuel, who had a, uh, a false start on a play that Kyle Shanahan said the 49ers had a great look and a great play drawn that probably would have gone for a big gain, if not a touchdown. But then Samuel is offsides, and obviously the play is negated. Um, and you had Samuel fumble when running into Mike McGlinchey at the end of the first half, taking away a field goal opportunity to, to give the 49ers a little bit more breathing room there after getting a, a, the first of, of three Jameis Winston interceptions. So you want to see more from the receiving core too. And so aside from Richie James's 30 yard, 30, 39 yard touchdown, there really wasn't a whole lot uh, to look back positively from that week one performance um, so the 49ers obviously need a lot more from their receivers and, and I'm betting playing Dante Pettis significantly more than two snaps on Sunday is going to be a big part of that. It has to be. I mean, who, who on the receiving core was so good that, that they should be getting, getting snaps over him right now. And that's not to say that, that Dante Pettis has done anything to, to play his way. Uh, into a starting role where he's playing 100% of the snaps or 80% of the snaps, but he should get more than two, and I think he should be out snapping Kendrick Bourne and probably Richie James. Um, I I know that they wanted to decrease some of the workload on Marquise Goodwin. I think he can eat into his snaps a little bit. There's just it's very clear that that, and we talked about this on the last podcast, so I don't want to reopen that whole can, but it's clear that Dante Pettis has at least a little bit of talent. And I think that, that they need to be playing him right now because they can't really leave any stone unturned when it comes to finding playmakers in the receiving core. I think Debo Samuel acquitted himself pretty well in his debut. But outside of that, um, they, they, they need people who are going, going to make plays, who are going to catch that ball thrown behind them, who are going to get up and uh, make a catch, maybe thrown a little bit over their heads. And, and I think Pettis is capable of that. And then he's good with the ball in his hands after the catch as well. So I, I think that that he gets some more time, but ultimately they just somebody has to somebody has to come out and make a play because they can't lean a hundred percent on George Kittle again to be their guy in the passing game. Yeah, and we talked about it during training camp too. Just the idea that 
the receivers rotated with, you know, the starters, the second and third team more than any other position group on the team, like on the entire team. And so you had guys who obviously were going to get cut like Sean Poindexter and Malik Henry and even Jordan Matthews get a ton of reps with the starters instead of Dante Pettis and Debo Samuel, who are obviously going to be playing a lot more uh, in the regular season. And, And we talked to Debo Samuel this week. And he said, really, he had no idea who would be starting before the game. And and he had no idea that he would see that much of a workload. And he didn't get a chance, really, to build a ton of chemistry with with Jimmy Garoppolo early on in training camp, um, which was one of the things that we all talked about as as really an indictment, maybe, of the coaching staff and how they were handling that situation. And so looking back on that and the fact that you didn't have um, you know, your main guys getting all of their reps with Jimmy Garoppolo, like Jimmy Garoppolo, all of his all of his reps come behind the starting offensive line. Right. Like that's that only makes sense. Um, George Kittle works almost exclusively with the first team. He'll get sprinkled in with C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins now and again. But really, Kittle's obviously the star of the offense right now. And that is, you know, he's going to get practice time with the starters. It just wasn't like that with the receivers. And, and we're all looking around and, and scratching our heads like, why are you doing this? And and week one is an example of why that's a bad idea. You need Jimmy Garoppolo to build chemistry with his receivers. And he obviously doesn't have that with Debo Samuel. And Kyle Shanahan has spent the last two years talking about how difficult his offense can be to learn uh, when you're just joining the league. And so to throw Debo Samuel in there, make him the starter and have him play as much as he did, uh, obviously, he showed signs uh, of of what you want to see, that third down conversion where he takes a slant over the middle, barrels into a defensive back and knocks his helmet off is is the perfect example of, of the kind of player that Debo Samuel could be uh, when he's at his best. But he never really got a chance to do that early on in, in training camp. And, and maybe that happened once practice w- was closed off to reporters, but I just think it's problematic, and and I'm wondering if Kyle Shanahan and maybe Wes Welker, the new receivers coach, have any regrets about uh, the way they did that because the receivers clearly didn't play well enough in week one. Yeah, that's that's right, and I think it reflected in, in the offensive performance. And and so the other point, too, is the running game, and the 49ers had just 98 yards on, on 32 carries, and they're not going to have Tevin Coleman against the Bengals because of a high ankle sprain that that happened to him early on in in that Buccaneers game. Uh, So it's going to be Matt Breida. It's going to be Raheem Mostert. And more than likely, Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to get promoted from the practice squad and added back to the active roster, which means the 49ers are going to have to release somebody. Uh, Maybe it's their six-round pick, Caden Smith, the fourth tight end on the roster. I think that would probably make the most sense. And I think they probably wouldn't have any problem getting him through waivers and back to the practice squad. Um, but they're going to need to to get the running game going. And, and obviously, you know, the, the Bengals defense did really well to, to stop, um, to stop the Seahawks running game. The Seahawks averaged just 29 carries or 29 yards on 25 carries. Uh, and even they had 72 yards and, and one of them, one of Chris Carson's runs went for 21 yards. So this Bengals team is clearly really good against the run again. And so it's, it's going to be tough on them to, it's going to be tough on the 49ers to get the running game going, particularly, you know, without their starter and Coleman. So I'm curious to see what, how creative Kyle Shanahan gets in getting the running game going, or if maybe he abandons it completely and, and puts it all in Garoppolo. Uh, what, what, what sort of game plan would, would you like to see Shanahan have 
given that the 49ers are not going to have Tevin Coleman. I think they can go – they still have enough talent in their backfield to to go with a similar game plan that they had against Tampa Bay. And, and obviously, you know, personnel and, and the defense you're facing dictates that. But I think if they wanted to run the ball a ton against Cincinnati, I think they can still do that with the Brita, Mostert, Coleman trio uh, – not Coleman, Wilson trio. So if they were planning on running it 35 times again, then they should do that. They need to go out, they need to go out and do that and try and get behind that offensive line and and try and go have the success that they had last year. They were they were good on the ground last year. You get Matt Breida, all he needs is is a little bit of space to turn to turn a play into into an explosive one. And Raheem Mostert's been good when in in his limited actions. So uh, I, I don't see any reason that they need to change any game plan that they would have had if Tevin, if Tevin Coleman was in the game. What I would like to see a little more of, like I said, is a, is some more play action and try and get try and get Cincinnati coming downhill and try and exploit them a little bit in the passing game. Get Garoppolo some easier throws and and try and soften up the defense that way. All right, and one one final topic I, I think we should hit on. Um, I, I think sort of the the most underrated aspect of, of what happened in Tampa Bay week one Sunday was was what the 49ers got from Mikel Witherspoon and I think it was the best game I've ever seen Witherspoon play uh, limiting Mike Evans who we know was under the weather and dealing with fatigue and obviously in the heat he wasn't at 100% but limiting Mike Evans to two catches for 28 yards Witherspoon having three pass breakups and, and good coverage forcing and completions on, on other plays and the pick six, which just sort of fell on his lap. Um, I mean, if Akella Witherspoon is good and he plays like he did week one, all that talk in coming from us and, and just about everywhere else in the offseason about the 49ers not making investments in coverage and in the secondary, um, you know, really might be for nothing because the 49ers had their answer in Witherspoon. Um, and and Richard Sherman talked about it after the game that Witherspoon has a completely different mindset. He's a, basically a changed person in in terms of the way he handles adversity, and and instead of um, you know being immature about things and and maybe pointing the finger or not um, not handling adversity or mistakes made appropriately, he's doing the opposite of that now, and he's he's really. Um, sort of matured and and improved his approach to to the point where just about everybody on the team is noticing it, um, and and his, the play Sunday reflected that too. And and one other thing that Robert Sala said uh, about Witherspoon was that he's a lot stronger. And and there are a couple instances where um, you know maybe last year and the year before Mike Evans would have pushed Witherspoon away uh, and and made the catch, but because Witherspoon's stronger now, he can't be. Uh, he's not as susceptible to, to physical receivers as maybe he once was because what, because of what he's done in the weight room. Um, so if the 49ers are going to go to the playoffs, and I don't want to you know put the card ahead of the horse here, but if the 49ers are going to make a playoff run and, and they're going to be you know around the 500 mark or, or you know in range to win 10, 11 games or whatever, it's going to be because of Kella Witherspoon not the only reason, but they're going to have to, in that scenario, Akella Witherspoon is going to be good. 
right? Like there's no way that the 49ers can make that kind of a run and play this, this type of ball where they're relying on their defense and the offense is complementing the defense um, where the defense is better than the offense. Akella Witherspoon is going to have to be really good because Richard Sherman looks like, looks far better this year than he did last year. uh, And which means Akella Witherspoon is going to get targeted a ton. Um, If he's good, if he's as good as he is Sunday over the remaining 15 games, that is absolutely enormous for the 49ers, uh, just given all the issues they had in coverage last year. So I think Witherspoon has to be a guy we watch really closely going forward. And, and what I'm interested in seeing is obviously Mike Evans is a big physical receiver. I'd like, how does Witherspoon match up with John Ross, who's a completely different kind of player who's a lot smaller? He's about seven inches shorter uh, one of the fastest guys in the league, uh, and obviously a big deep threat. I think he had touchdowns of 55 and 33 yards in the second quarter of that Seahawks game on Sunday. Um, yeah. The Witherspoon thing is a huge development. Yeah, they they've they were relying on him being good, and if he wasn't good, they were going to rely on Jason Verrett to stay healthy and, and play in that spot and play at a Pro Bowl level coming back off ACL and Achilles injuries. So I'm completely with you. They needed Witherspoon. He was going to be like assuming the pass rush was going to be there and assuming Sherman took a step forward now that he's now that he's healthier. Witherspoon was going to kind of be the the linchpin in whether this whole thing worked. And he was really good Sunday. He was really decisive. He was fast. Uh Jennifer Lee Chan over at NBC Sports Bay Area wrote about um Mike Evans went up to Witherspoon after the game and asked if the 49ers knew their offense. Like that's how, that's how on top of it Witherspoon was. So if he's going to be that good, I'm, I'm with you. The Niners, the Niners have a chance to be, to be a very, very excellent defense. And it takes some of the onus off, off the safeties as well. If, if the corners aren't, aren't constantly blowing assignments and, and putting them in tough spots. So yeah, if if the Niners' defensive, their entire defensive philosophy was kind of relying on Witherspoon taking a jump this year, and again, like you said, Week One's always a little bit weird, but he certainly showed in Week One that that level of play is there for him to be that guy that they need. Yeah, and it also comes back to the pass rush, and and you know, right. with, without breaking down the the all twenty two and and what happened on every single play. Uh, we don't know exactly, but I think it's very safe to assume that getting Jameis Winston off of his spot and getting pressure from from D Ford and Nick Bosa is obviously helping out the corners and and the rest of the secondary in a huge way. And the 49ers spent the entire offseason talking about tying pass rush pressure uh, and coverage together. And and I think you have to be really encouraged about the way they did that on Sunday. So. Obviously, Nick Bosa's ankle injury is is massive, and uh, and the 49ers really need him to play. Um, D Ford needs to to provide that pressure. I know he had that strip sack, but he said after the game that that he wasn't really happy with his performance, and he was still shaking off some rust. Um, so if if D Ford is going to be better than he was in Week One, I think that's a good sign for the 49ers. So it's going to be a fascinating game, and uh, and I think that's that's a good place to wrap up. Um, the Bengals are better than we thought. The Niners are better than we thought. Uh, the Niners are are looking to go two and zero on the road, which is 
not something we've ever said before since Kyle Shanahan took over uh, took over on the team. The Niners didn't win a road game last year, and they mm-hmm. hadn't won an Eastern an, a game in the Eastern Time Zone since uh, since 2014 in Jim Harbaugh's final season. Yep. So, yeah, we're 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 looking at at uncharted territory in the Kyle Shanahan era. So we'll see if the 49ers can can win another game in the Eastern Time Zone, and and we can finally get back to California after 10 days on the road and um and for them you know have 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 the Pittsburgh Steelers come to town for the home opener with a 2-0 record I think that would be a a great place for for the 49ers to be going into week three so that's it we'll talk to you guys next week reviewing this game uh enjoy your weekend and we'll talk to you soon Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.